This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Before we begin, listeners, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. This way you can get notified of the new episodes as soon as they're released. Welcome to this another episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. I have another amazing guest with me today. Carly Burridge is a nationally recognized expert in obesity medicine. She is comprehensively trained in medical obesity treatment as well as in bariatric surgery. Carly is a fellow of the Obesity Medicine Association. She is a co-author of the Obesity Algorithm and currently serves on the Board of Trustees for the Illinois Obesity Society. She has developed a number of successful weight management programs in a variety of health settings. She has received multiple awards for her work in expanding the field of obesity medicine and in furthering obesity education for healthcare providers. She is also the founder and owner of GainingHealth.com, which she recently developed to support healthcare providers who want to incorporate obesity medicine into their practice, as well as providing education and support for people who are impacted by obesity. Welcome, Carly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, this is amazing. So we were just chatting about your journeys just before we started recording. So tell us about this. You know, I, I'm just amazed at all that you've achieved. And we'll talk a little bit about what you've achieved in a bit. But let's just start with what got you started with all of this. When do you think your weight really became an issue? Yeah, you know, weight was not an issue for me growing up as a child. In fact, when I was little, my mother was told by the pediatrician that she needed to feed me more and that I was too skinny. I wasn't allowed to drink water with my meals because they were afraid that I wasn't getting all of my nutrition in. So I was just one of those kids, you know, I'm six feet tall, so I was like a string bean, right? I was just one of these lean kids and I was very active always, played a lot of sports growing up. I played, of course, all the tall people's sports, <laughs> volleyball, basketball, I did track and field. And so weight had never really been an issue for me. You know, I was raised, I was fortunate enough to be raised by a mother who cooked very healthy food, always had home cooked meals. I grew up in Europe. I'm from the Netherlands. My family's from the Netherlands and I grew up in the Netherlands and in Austria. And I remember one day, it was funny, Mar, we had American neighbors when we lived in Austria. And one time they, we invited them over for dinner and we were having pasta. And so my mother's version of pasta was a ton of different vegetables and carrots and peppers and everything in the sauce. And our neighbors said, this isn't spaghetti. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> so anyway, so I was raised, you know, with healthy food. And I've always had an appreciation for the importance of physical activity and nutrition and the impact that that has on, on health. So I really didn't have a problem until I decided to go to the United States for college. And even in college, you know, I stayed very active. I was playing club volleyball year round. And on top of that, we had conditioning. And on top of that, I would work out at the rec center and go running and do all of these things. But despite all of my activity, my weight really increased very significantly my first year. And I'm not sure exactly how much weight I gained because I knew my weight in kilograms and the weight I was seeing was in pounds. So it really didn't mean anything to me. But it was probably about 20 or 30 pounds that I gained my freshman year of college. 
And, you know, and I just really wasn't feeling like myself with that extra weight. I felt like I had a harder time moving on the volleyball court. I just, I didn't feel like myself. And I also noticed that the more weight I gained, the hungrier I became. And so, you know, my, it was probably my, uh, my sophomore year of college that I was like, okay, I'm really going to try to lose this weight. And so I tried exercising more, which I really couldn't exercise any more than I already was. And so I just tried, you know, all kinds of different ways to lose weight. I tried the slim fast diet. I tried the cabbage soup diet multiple times. (laughs) I tried like the South Beach. I mean, anything I could, you know, get my hands on, I tried it and, you know, was raised in the low fat era, right? So I really thought that fat was the enemy. You could, I was trying to eat as little fat as possible. I was trying to eat rice cakes and stuff like that. And all I noticed is the more I tried to manage my weight, the hungrier I felt. And it was pretty miserable. I also, I was telling you before, I noticed one time we were doing a car wash for our volleyball team and I was holding this sign up and I noticed that my armpits were kind of like, they looked dirty. And I was like, what is that? I take multiple showers a day. Why are my armpits dirty? So what I didn't know at the time, which I learned later on in my medical training was, oh, this is acanthosis nigricans. I had insulin resistance. I developed insulin resistance at that time, which makes sense why I was like so hungry all the time and craving carbs. And I could not control myself around like junk food. Like I I would try to be, you know, really good with my diet all day. And then we'd go to somebody's house and they'd have some fresh baked cookies. And I could not resist those cookies. (laughs) I I earned the nickname cookie monster in college because there were cookies around. I was like, ah. (laughs) So we can laugh about it now. And some parts of that certainly were funny, but you know, at the time it was very frustrating for me uh, that I could not lose this weight no matter what I tried. Right. So what do you think that really caused all of this? Did you ever try to think about it? Like what caused all of the weight gain that you had during your freshman year? Yeah, you know, I think it was multiple factors. I think, first of all, I'm sure my nutrition was different. I'm sure it wasn't what I was getting, you know, back at home. I still tried to eat healthy. I would, you know, try to get brown rice with things, but it was very high carb, I think. You know, Mm. I was eating sandwiches, bread, brown rice. Again, those rice cakes, granola bars, like anything that was kind of low fat, low fat yogurts which, you know, a lot of these foods are very high in carbohydrates and very high in sugar. So I think that that had definitely had something to do with it, even though I was, you know, trying to exercise and trying to eat healthy. And then also probably sleep deprivation. You know, I remember those days were very busy. I taught Dutch at the university. I was volunteering my time at a children's center. I was playing volleyball year round. And then I had a full load of classes. I was actually doing two majors. So I majored both in physiology and psychology because I really believed, you know, from early on in that connection between the mind and the body. And I really felt like you couldn't understand one without the other. So there were a lot of late nights, staying up late studying. And so I think sleep deprivation and and stress probably had Mm. uh, played a significant role too. You know, I was on the other side of the world from my family, you know, (laughs) it's obviously a lot of changes. So, you know, I think all of that probably had a lot to do with it. And I have a strong family history of diabetes, which I I didn't know at the time, but I have that. So I think all of that kind of culminated in me developing insulin resistance, despite the fact that 
I was pretty active. How about portion sizes in America coming yeah. from the Netherlands? <laughs> I'm sure that was a big difference too. You know, the plates were just huge, the portion sizes, and you get used to it, right? Like at right. first, I remember going to Chipotle and I was like, I could never eat a Chipotle burrito. These are like the size of my head. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm polishing it off, no problem. So yeah, I think you do. You get used to the larger portion sizes and I'm sure that played a role too. Right. So you mentioned you tried a bunch of stuff, trying Slim Fast, whatever, South Beach diet and everything. What do you think made you really fail in those attempts? Were you not able to sustain or was it just because you were not losing the weight you kind of gave up? Yeah, I think the ones that kind of worked, if you will, like I actually would lose a little bit of weight were the ones that you couldn't sustain, like cabbage soup diet. You know, it's like (laughs) one week and I'd be like, yeah, I lost four pounds. And then of course the next week it's right back on. So I think it was that diet mindset that I think a lot of people have. I was trying to find a quick fix. I was trying to find like a short-term diet and, you know, and we all know now like that doesn't work. It has to be something that's sustainable. It has to be a lifestyle change. But, and I was making myself so hungry by trying to force this calorie restriction that it just wasn't sustainable. And It was also kind of this all or none mentality where Mm. if I was on, I would, you know, totally follow my diet perfectly. And then if I slipped up, then it was like, oh, well, screw it. I messed up today. I had one cookie. I might as well have 50. Right. 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 (laughs) So I think it's this mindset, this all or none mindset and trying to force this caloric restriction, trying to fight my own hunger. right? Right. I'm just trying to force yourself into something that's not working for your body. So that really didn't work for me. And, you know, when I was young and at the time I was like, well, this is what people do. I never had to lose weight before. I didn't know, you know, and this is what you hear. These diet plans, it just wasn't sustainable for me. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I just want to point out to our listeners something very important. You were very physically active. And despite that, you gained the weight. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of misconception about, you know, using exercise to lose weight. So you were physically active to the point that you could not be more physically active. And yet you gained the weight. That tells you something about exercise as a modality for weight loss. Right. Again, we always talk about exercise being important. It is very, very important in your general health. And it can be very important in weight maintenance. But as a modality for weight loss, it's kind of not up there with your nutrition and other modalities that are there. So I think that's something that's very important for people to understand because there's so much of a push on using exercise as a weight loss Mm -hmm. modality. Again, it's a weight maintenance modality, not not necessarily a weight loss modality. For some people, it can work. There are some people who can respond to exercise very well and they really, you know, the exercise works well for them. But again, it has to be in conjunction with other lifestyle changes that occur for a successful weight loss. And you really hit the nail on the head. You know, it's a lifestyle change that occurs. It's not a short-term diet that you need to be on. And once you're done, you're done. It's a lifelong journey that you have to be on for a sustained weight loss and then weight maintenance. Yeah. And I actually, I tried to take that exercise idea to the next level. So when I graduated, my undergraduate, I went to graduate school to study clinical exercise physiology at the University of Texas in Austin. And so that was the first time that I didn't have organized team sports. And I thought, oh my gosh, well, what am I going to do for activity? I'm a naturally competitive person. I wanted to stay very active. And so I decided that I was going to really push my exercise to the limit. I was going to run a marathon. 
That was my goal. So I thought, gosh, I have to lose weight if I run a marathon, right? Right. And so I decided I'm going to run the Austin Marathon, even though I'd never even run a 5K. I'd been a runner. Like I was a sprinter in high school, like 400s. And, you know, I would jog a few miles, but I'd never done any, you know, road races. I'd never done any real distance running. But I was like, this is going to do it. I'm going to run a marathon and that's how I'm going to lose the weight. So again, like you said, I was the same way. I thought exercise, more exercise is going to be the answer. So I started training for a marathon and lo and behold, I did not lose any weight. And so that, you know, I was like, what else can I do? So that's really when things turned around for me, actually, was during a course in one of our exercise physiology classes. And what we were learning about was the different fuels that the body uses. So whether we use glucose or fat as a fuel source and what determines this substrate utilization, what determines whether your body uses glucose as a fuel source or fat as a fuel source. And so I just remember seeing this graph. It was a graph of insulin on one end and then lipolysis or fat burning on the y-axis. And what it showed very clearly was that as your insulin goes up, your fat burning goes down. And so really talking about how insulin is the hormone that controls your fat metabolism. And when your insulin is low, your body uses fat as a fuel source. As your insulin goes up, it stops being able to use fat as a fuel source and it becomes more reliant on glucose. And I was like, that was the first time that I had heard that was the first time that I had seen that. And like a light bulb went on in my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I've been barking up the wrong tree this whole time. Maybe I was like, I'm just going to try this experiment with myself and see if this works. So from that very day after that lecture, I thought, okay, I'm just going to start taking out the foods in my diet that cause my insulin to go up. So I cut out, you know, bread, rice, pasta, all those rice cakes, crackers, all of that (laughs) stuff. I cut all of that out of my diet and lo and behold, the weight started coming off. And not only that, the biggest thing that I noticed was my hunger levels. Because I had been like miserable the, you know, past few years leading up to that. I was like, if I didn't eat every two or three hours, like I became like not a nice person. (laughs) I was just hangry all the time. And, (laughs) and I was just like, oh my God, like I can't control this. I just feel like I have to eat all the time. And that was the biggest thing that I noticed was like that desire to eat all the time, that hunger went away. And I was didn't constantly feel the need to eat. And it really affected my mood and everything else too. So that was really the big turning point for me. And again, I didn't see it as like a temporary thing. I was like, okay, this is how my body, this is what my body responds well to. And so I really continued that. And actually to this day, I continue to follow that type of a lifestyle. It's probably not ketogenic most of the time. I'm sure I'm in ketosis sometimes, but it's more of a a low carbohydrate lifestyle that I've been able to maintain now since then. And that was like in 2005 or something like that. So it's been about 15 years. There was two times in my life where I have gained significant weight again, and that was pregnancies. So I gained 60 pounds with each pregnancy because I was like, well, I need to eat more carbs if I'm pregnant. I wasn't trying to eat a ton, but you know, I was, I didn't know if I could eat low carb and be pregnant. And certainly my children's 
health was the sure. most important to me at that time. So I did increase my carbohydrates a little bit and my body just responds very quickly when I add more carbs in as far as like weight gain. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to point out another thing to our listeners that a lot of times people get confused about low carb, ketogenic, whole foods. Really, when we're talking about carb, it's more of the processed foods because Naturally, all plants are made of carbohydrates right. and it's the bioavailability of those carbohydrates to your body. By bioavailability, I mean how much of those carbohydrates can be absorbed. So, for example, going into the basics of biology, the cell membranes have a cellulose lining in mm -hmm. the plants, which cannot be broken down and absorbed by your body. So even if people eat whole food plant based, it is not exactly low carb because you're eating carbohydrates, but it's also about the carbohydrates that get absorbed, the rate of absorption of those carbohydrates. If you're eating cookies, if you're eating baked goods, the absorption is much faster. Yeah. And they are much the carbohydrates are much more bioavailable to be converted to, to sugars. And those are the kind of the bad carbs. And when we talk about low carb, it's essentially eliminating those things from your diet, not necessarily taking away healthy plants, uh, greens, and, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, not necessarily taking all of those away because the carbohydrates in them are not as bioavailable to your body as they are in the baked goods, for right. example. And just the, the amount of carbohydrates, right. right? And so actually, you know, in a lot of ways, you can say by volume, I eat a high carbohydrate diet because I right. eat a lot of vegetables and plants and stuff like that, which are made of carbohydrates. But again, like you said, those carbohydrates are tied to fiber, which, you know, changes the absorption, slows down the absorption and that, that fiber is not absorbed at all. Right. Of course. So, yeah. So when we're talking low carbohydrate, I mean more cutting out, like you said, like the, the processed foods, the high glycemic index foods, like exactly. You know, yeah. But plants, you know, vegetables, definitely eat a ton of vegetables. This, you know, a lot of it is, like you said, whole foods, right? Like eating exactly. real food. So it's eating food that you can recognize from the farm to the table, like, oh, that does this not is have an a egg. Label. Right. It doesn't have a label. <laughs> exactly. So Carly, did you ever set a goal of how much weight you're going to lose or how much you want to lose in X amount of weeks or whatever? Did you ever have that in your mind? A lot of times we have that in our minds when we're trying to go on a weight loss journey. Uh, did you ever try to do that? You know, I don't remember really doing that at that time. Certainly since then I've had, you know, I just kind of wanted to see what would happen. And, you know, and I kind of just ended up back at a, a healthy, a good, healthy weight for myself. And I wasn't too concerned about exactly what that weight was. I just knew that I felt good. I had energy. Even throughout that marathon, you know, that was pretty interesting too, because what everybody told me at the time with marathon training is you got to carb load and eat all these carbs. Right. And, and I was able to actually, you know, I, I switched my nutrition in the middle of marathon training wow. and found that I did very well by oxidizing fat as a fuel source. And I didn't bonk or hit the wall like most people do around like mile 17 or 20, where you run out right. of your glycogen stores and your glucose, right. which is why people bonk, because if you become reliant on those fuel sources, that that's what your body needs. In fact, I ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon. That, oh, that was wow. my very first marathon. And so that was an interesting experience at that time. So I really didn't have a specific weight goal. I just kind of wanted to see what happened. And I just ended up kind of probably similar to what my weight was before college. And then ever since then, I've, it's just been kind of trying to maintain 
my weight, but also being realistic about that, you know, your body changes over time. And with pregnancies, your body changes. And so I always just focus on making sure that I'm feeling good. You know, if I'm hungry, I eat. And then I try to eat good food. And I, when I eat food, I try to think about what is this food doing for me as far as nutrition and also as far as my satiety levels, right? I know that if I'm feeling really hungry and snacky, like, okay, I just need to get some good protein and some healthy fats and some fiber in, and I know that that's going to satisfy me. And as long as I'm eating the right foods, my hunger and my cravings are very well controlled and my weight I almost don't even really have to think about it all too much. It just is able to control itself. But I can tell as soon as if I go off and I start (laughs) to eat more processed foods, then I can tell. (laughs) The scale (laughs) will tell me and it's like, oh, okay, got to rewind, get back on track. Right. And then how long did it take for you to kind of get back to your goal weight that you wanted to be at or your goal, whatever size? So after my pregnancies, I lost that weight initially, and I kind of maintained that weight for several years, again, without too much effort, staying, I mean, I was doing all of the things that I did before as far as activity, staying very active, you know, making sure I was getting about seven or eight hours of sleep. Sleep is a really big deal to me. Making sure I manage my stress, which exercise plays a huge role in that. For me, like running was a big stress reliever and activity is a big stress reliever for me. And so after my pregnancies, again, about 60 pounds with each pregnancy. So that was very significant. And I just, you know, I was like, it took a year to make these children and for all of this to change. I'm going to give myself at least (laughs) a year to like let my body do what it needs to do. And I think that's so important. So many women put so much pressure on themselves. Like as soon as that baby is born, they feel like they need to be back in their, you know, pre-pregnancy clothes or or that their body's going to be the same after they've had a baby. It's like, no, there's no such thing as like pre-baby body. I'm sorry, your body has changed forever. Right. <laughs> and we need to give ourselves that time. So, you know, it probably took me about a year to get back to my previous weight where I felt good at. And And my body kind of settled into that weight, you know? So I think breastfeeding was very helpful. I breastfed both of my babies for as long as I could and just staying active and, you know, eating the right foods, getting my nutrition on track and giving yourself that time. So, you know, it takes at least a year. I I sometimes have patients who would come in and they'd had a baby and they're like three months after delivering and and they're like, okay, I need, I need to have all this weight off. I need to be back to my pre baby size. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just had a baby three months ago. You were sleep deprived right now. You were not getting any sleep. Don't, don't stress about that. Give your body some time. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. So I think it's just getting back to the basics, getting back to eating your healthy whole foods, getting some activity in where you can, you know, moms with newborns. I'm always like, look, don't put so much pressure on yourself to have to like be at the gym. Go, take your baby on a walk in the stroller, you know, like don't put so much pressure on yourself that you have to, you know, bounce back. What was your biggest struggle when you were losing your weight, you know, post-pregnancy or, you know, initially in your freshman year? What do you think was the struggle that you faced each time you've lost your weight? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the biggest struggle was. I think managing your own expectations and not being too hard on yourself. And, you know, sometimes it's 
holidays and stuff like that, things that come up where I do notice that as soon as I start eating the processed carbs again, the cravings come back like a vengeance. It's every year at Halloween time. I always (laughs) notice it because we keep candy out of the house for most of the year. Or if the kids have something, it's like, okay, that's, I don't really eat that. But then like Halloween comes around and they have these big baskets of, you know, these little Halloween candies. And inevitably I find myself sneaking in there and getting a little piece. And all of a sudden, man, then the next day I feel like I need another piece. And the next day I feel like I need two pieces. And so I definitely do recognize that like once some of those foods kind of come back, those cravings come back and that hunger comes back. So I think it's just, you're always having to kind of reinvent yourself and figure out what works for you and what doesn't. As far as exercise, I think I've always had to change that. I think as my kids have been different ages, as I've changed, you know, two years ago, all of a sudden I started developing hip pain and knee pain when I ran, which was not something that had never happened before. And I had to stop running and running for me was such a big part of my activity. So I had to change all of that. And now I, I don't run anymore. Unfortunately, you know, I, I've changed to, to biking, which I used to hate and walking more and doing other things. When my kids were little, it was like, I needed to be at a gym because I needed somebody to watch them so I could do my thing. And then as they got older, I felt like I can't take them to a gym after they've just been in school or daycare all day. So things are always changing, I think. And you have to kind of look at where your life is right now. What are your circumstances? And certainly with this whole pandemic, right? Everybody's routines changed all over again and what you eat and when you eat and how and when you're active. So I think it's just important to always kind of be reevaluating your situation. Don't get stuck in like, this is what I have to do. You have to be able to be flexible and look at what's going on in the world around you, but always have a plan in your mind, right? That plan can change, but have a plan. Yeah, I think it's funny that you mentioned about the hip pain and the knee pain, because I sometimes feel that, you know, your mind works very differently or it thinks very differently about what your body can do and it kind of takes a while for you to align your mind to what your physical body can actually do and cannot do and actually understanding what are the physical limitations that you have and not necessarily physical limitations of the body but physical limitations of the environment that you're in or your social constraints that you have and it takes a while to align to that and accept that fact Mm -hmm. but till you accept that fact it's always a struggle in your mind and it really can get to some people. So uh, yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, as you're growing older, you still feel in your mind that you may be able to achieve something or you may be able to do something physically, for example, any exercise, but it may not necessarily gel well with your current physiological state based on your age, based on your body habitus, based on based on how overweight you are. Right, right. And sometimes we identify ourselves as certain things, right? Like I identified as a runner, or somebody might identify themselves as somebody who's not an exerciser, right? And that's how you identify, like, that's just not what I do. That's just not who I am. And so we have to identify too, like, this can change. It's not like a permanent thing that this is what you are or what you are not. You kind of have to have this growth mindset where it's like, okay, well, I used to be able to do that, but I have limitations that I can't do that anymore. So now I have to find something else. And sometimes that's also weather dependent, right? Right. So as the weather changes, I mean, I moved from Arizona and then Texas. So it was very hot. And then now I live in Illinois. And so we had snow this morning, right? So 
You can't let those things stand in your way. There's always reasons to find why you can't do something or where you have to stop doing something. If you think that this is really important for you, then you'll find a way to do it. And you have to be able to be flexible and change things because as life, as circumstances change, what you can do and what you're able to do or willing to do will change. And so you have to be adaptable to that, but always make sure that it's a priority. Like if you don't make it a priority, it's not going to happen. Like for me, you know, my activity is still something where that is no matter what's going on. I always try to make that a priority, find some way to incorporate that because not just for my physical health, which I know it's very important for my physical health, but for my mental health too. I remember the one time when I wasn't exercising was actually after I had my daughter. I actually, I had my daughter and I graduated PA school in the same week. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then also we had just bought our first home. So there was a lot going on. I'd started my job as a family medicine PA. I had a newborn, new house. And I had so much going on and I was so stressed out and I was breastfeeding, like I said, and the weight was coming off pretty rapidly. I think just from not having time to eat much and just all the stress. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to exercise because I just don't think I need it. For a long time, I exercised for weight management and I don't do that anymore. It's really more for my overall health and well-being, right? But I didn't recognize that at the time. And so I kind of stopped exercising and I noticed that it was just not good for my mental health. And so I kind of came to a moment where I said, okay, like my mental health is not good right now. What do I need to do? And I realized like, gosh, you know, the one thing that fell off, the one thing that's really different is I I stopped exercising. So when I started back up with that, that really actually made a big difference for my mental health. Yeah. And I mean, studies have shown that it is a big stress buster. Yeah. So it, it does work that way. So how do you manage this healthy lifestyle in your busy schedule? Do you meal prep? How do you plan for the day or for the week? Yeah. So every week I write out what we're going to have for dinner. So I usually do my grocery shopping on the weekends. Is your husband okay with that? <laughs> Plan everything a week ahead? He doesn't, He's like, oh, she makes the food. He's happy. I'm the cook in the family. So I think as long as <laughs> he's being fed, he is happy with it. But so I don't make it all ahead of time, but I decide on what the menu is going to be ahead of time. And so I write it down in my calendar. So it's like every week. And I even write in my exercise too. So like on this week, so I have, we're having chili this day and I'm doing the Peloton bike. The next day is chicken tortilla soup and I'm doing upper body lifting. So I write it in my calendar every day is what are we having for dinner and what am I doing for my physical activity that day? So that's, I think about that a week in advance. I look at what my schedule is going to be that week. And those are my priorities, right? And then I go grocery shopping on the weekend and just make sure that I have all of the foods that I need for those dinners and that I have foods, healthy foods available for lunches, breakfasts, snacks, things like that for the whole family. And I don't veer off of my list. I don't buy extra stuff that I, right. I make sure I don't go to the grocery store hungry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's if very you do important. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just stick to my list. And so that's kind of how I do my meal prepping and also my physical activity planning. So right. those are two things that I plan for every day. And I really make them a priority because I know that If I'm not feeding myself or my family the right way, and if I'm not getting my activity, then I won't 
feel my best. My mood won't be the best. And then I can't be there for everybody else. So sometimes self-care seems selfish to people. They think, well, I can't prioritize myself and my own mental health, my own physical health before other people or their job takes precedence or their family takes precedence. But if you do that, like you really can't be your best self for everybody else without taking care of yourself first. So I stopped thinking of it as something that's selfish I also, you know, plan in like meditation time and, you know, I make sure I have that time in the morning so I can really be my best self because that's the only way that you can be the best for other people in your life. I think it's uh, very important to plan for the future, not only for your successes, but also for your failures, because that way you can anticipate what's going to happen next. And you can kind of kind of lay out a contingency plan to see what to do if you fail. So it, it does not become an all or none phenomenon where you failed one step and then you just give up. But you have a contingency plan and you can pick yourself up from where you failed and where you've fallen and then move ahead. Right, right. And so I think it's so important to find out what works for you, right? So I'm always learning new things about myself through this journey. I try to really pay attention to my body and how I feel. And so I feel like you're always learning about yourself. But I think it's so important that people find what works for them. Because what works for me is not what's going to work best for the next person. I don't think that there's one nutrition plan that is the best fit for everybody. I think you really have to find what works for you, what type of activity works for you, what type of nutrition works for you. And so really kind of like checking in with yourself and your body and find what works for you and then, you know, sticking with that. So I think that that's super important. All right. So before we sign off, Carly, do you have any recommendations or what are your top three, so to say, recommendations for our listeners? I would say prioritize sleep. Okay. I think sleep is so important and it's probably not discussed enough. I know I discuss it with my patients all the time. I find that so many people are sleep deprived. They're not getting enough hours of sleep or they're not getting good quality of sleep. There's a lot of people that have uh, medical conditions like obstructive sleep apnea that has not been diagnosed and that causes weight gain as well. It causes fatigue. So I think prioritizing good quality sleep, doing your best to get, you know, seven to eight hours of high quality sleep is so, so important. Right. And then secondly, you know, eat a whole food nutrition plan. So eat foods like we talked about that don't come with a label that you can recognize from the farm to the table. You know, those are the foods that our body are is designed to eat, to know what to do with, to give us the right signals. We have to remember that our food choices, what we eat and when we eat and how much we eat, a lot of that is influenced by hormones, right? That tell our brain about when to eat, when to stop eating, how much to eat. And so we wanna make sure that we're getting the right signals from our gut to our brain about when to eat, when to stop eating. And those signals work best when your body is getting food that it recognizes. So trying to avoid those processed foods, those highly processed foods as much as possible and eating whole foods. And then third is physical activity. You know, I know that looks different for everybody and there are certainly people who really 
struggle with this. I've had plenty of patients who are wheelchair bound, who really had a lot of restrictions on their activity. And so sometimes you have to get a little bit creative in what you can do. You know, sometimes it's just starting with an arm cycle or doing some resistance bands or just, you know, getting up and walking to the kitchen and back, you know, or, or walking to the bathroom, you know, just getting up and moving a little bit. That movement is so important for that communication within the whole body. So getting getting movement where and when you can. I'd say that those are probably some of the biggest things. And also being kind to yourself. People oh, yeah, are so, so hard yeah. to the on themselves and they beat themselves up. So, you know, celebrate your small successes, celebrate when you're doing things well, celebrate when you've turned away a brownie and don't only think about the times when you maybe had a setback or, you know, just think about all the things that you're doing that are so great that you're improving on and be kind to yourself. Speak to yourself the way that you would speak to somebody you love. Well, that's great. I think that's great advice, uh, Carly. So listeners, don't forget to drop us a review or a comment. Uh, if there are any specific topics that you would like me to discuss, please let me know. You can write to me at host at decodingobesity.com. Do subscribe for more fun and inspiring episodes like this one in the future. I'm also looking for uh, people who have inspiring stories just like you, Carly, so that I can share it with others who are listening to this, this podcast and get motivated to basically start their weight loss journey or seek the right help if they need it. So if you have a story to share, please email me at host at decodingobesity.com. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Carly, for sharing your story with us. And thank you everyone for listening in. I'll see you all next time. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.